the work of art in the age of generative AI, this time on Culture File. In the latest of her series on amateurism, the writer Joanna Walsh looks at how the advent of AI-created or improved art shapes what we think the place of art might be. This is Joanna Walsh on AI. I'm looking at a reproduction of Vermeer's painting Girl with a Pearl Earring, except it's not. This version by August Camp, made with the AI app Outpainting on Dali, treats art like a fragment of reality. In this case, Dali expands the painting into a sort of country living magazine room set, where recursive abundances of kitchenware suggest a pre-Marie Kondo contemporary interior. Vermeer's original girl stands out from a plain black background. Though she's wearing 17th century markers of wealth and taste, as well as that pearl, a turban that, given her whiteness, suggests some kind of luxury boho exoticism, she has no context. But AI abhors a vacuum. The world of interiors shabby chic supplied by Dali asks an interesting question. Is she at work or at leisure in this overstuffed interior? Is she professional or amateur? Is she the mistress or the maid? Repetition and abundance are both signs of our IRL contemporary aesthetics. Expensive farmhouse chic is what French sociologist Pierre Bourdieu might have called a social climbing exercise in the judgment of taste. But it also looks like core aesthetics, as in cottagecore, where the deployment of images of objects online is cost-free. Already a thing in modernism and postmodernism, most abundant artworks from Andy Warhol's Brillo boxes currently stacked in the Dublin's Hugh Lane Gallery to the business art multiples of Salvador Dali or Damien Hirst have something to say about capitalism. The British cultural theorist Mark Fisher described capitalism as a system of equivalence, which can assign all cultural objects, whether they're religious iconography, pornography or des capital, a monetary value. Walk around the British Museum, he suggests, and you see objects torn from their life worlds and assembled. Capitalism's conversion of practices and rituals into merely aesthetic objects led Fisher to speculate that capitalist realism is therefore not a particular type of realism, it is more like realism in itself. How does this work with the cost and consequence-free reproduction of objects in Dali's Cod Vermeer cluttered interior? The fact that Vermeer's original painting has been claimed for something called Dutch realism is telling. Not that the original really looks real, flat canvas, visible brushstrokes. Any more than any artistic medium whose conventions have been accepted as realistic by an original viewer whose mindset we can scarcely now imagine. Did the girl's first viewers think of her as real, as in a direct depiction of real life, or real because she fitted a contemporary aesthetic convention that stood in for reality? I think of the audience repeatedly terrified by the so-called reality of the Lumiere Brothers' 1896 film Le Rivet d'un Train à la Ciertate, which shows a train that appears to steam toward the viewer at full speed in flat, grainy, silent monochrome. And I also think of the 2020 AI restored version that provides a similar shock of the real. Not because I fear being crushed by something that looks physically real, but because of the fleshing out of the actors with extra pixels, so they no longer look grainy and flat, but like they might have been filmed yesterday for some period costume drama. Like any mischievous modernist, the amateur restorer plays with a contemporary version of the shock of the new. 
This is not the shock of new form or content, but new technology. Playing with the difference between aesthetic conventions of late 19th century and contemporary film, the restorer was not concerned with historical preservation or documentary truth, but the effect of this difference on the viewer. In other words, he was making art. If, as Yuriko Saito suggests in her 2019 book, Everyday Aesthetics, we normally respect the integrity of a work of art and give it precedence over possible aesthetic improvement. If we refrain from eliminating several bars at the end of Beethoven's later symphonies, erasing some pencil marks from a painting or adding another chapter to a novel, this is no longer the case. Maybe modernism and even postmodernism, along with the modern world of 20th century capitalism, has finally been conquered by what we could call unrealism, a comparatively skillless genre of amateur art made from art for the lols just to see what the machine can do. It doesn't so much tell us about the original as about our own contemporary aesthetics. But this is nothing new. Just as any improvement exists in the context of the original, so the original always exists in the context of the critical interpretations of our day. The demuseuming of the art object, the acceptance of its proliferation, its abundance, its reproducibility, virtually even more than IRL, loosens our visions of the originals from these interpretations and reveals something of their relation to contemporary politics. The blatant artificiality of AI reproductions smashes the decontextualization of objects that Mark Fisher lamented produces a capitalist realism analogous to the deflationary perspective of a depressive who believes that any positive state, any hope, is a dangerous illusion. AI art reminds me of the working-class homes which, in a mixed-class family, were some of the homes I grew up in. They were decorated not with what I later learned to have taste for, the nostalgic enamel of the everyday, but with the unreal, fairies, gnomes, monsters, princesses, the smoothest surfaces in precast plaster, Murano glass and nylon tulle. Like AI art, the thing was to look like no hand had ever touched them. There is a lack of ruin here. There is repetition, expansion, elaboration. The correct context for these objects is the glass squirrel beside and dwarfing the porcelain ballerina, the group of pottery monks whose tonsured heads gape open to pun on the baldness of eggs, side by side with the photo postcard of the Spanish dancer, 3D skirts embroidered onto her 2D facade. Relying on commercial objects, aka kitsch, for aesthetic experience is the opposite of what Bourdieu called taste. We know they won't help us climb the social ladder. They won't make us look smarter or more sophisticated. But we enjoy them because they make us feel something. They're cute or funny or pretty. This sounds basic, but it's aesthetic appreciation at its most sophisticated. We know they're not real, but we know our feelings for them are. An education in kitsch is a great preparation for life online. That was Joanna Walsh with the latest of her series on amateurism. And for all the previous episodes, have a look, maybe even subscribe to the Culture File podcast feed. You'll find details of that on the Lyric site.